to read scripture together, let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes here, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing as we prepare to turn to his word now. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes now through your spirit that we may see and believe the wonderful truth of your word, the truth about our own sin and the truth about Jesus, our loving and gracious Savior. Lord, we all need to see him. We all need to trust in him and grow in our trust in him. And we pray that you would do this work now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. That's Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Listen to God's word now. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners."
And I went to the doctor a little while ago. Something was bothering me. And the doctor walked in and, you know, started the typical way, how are you? What do we always say? Oh, I'm fine. And he said, no, you're not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here to see me. My doctor was completely right. I wasn't fine. And I knew I wasn't fine. And I knew I needed his help. Jesus makes a very similar point in our passage this morning. Sick people need a doctor, and sinners need a savior. And Jesus Christ delights to be the gracious savior that we need. He came to call sinners like us to faith and repentance and to offer us eternal fellowship with God himself. He does that work, and he delights to do that work. What we see here is the gospel. This is the good news that each one of us needs. And my prayer this morning is that each of us sees again our need for Christ and responds to his grace in faith and obedience. Well, that really leads us then to the main idea. What is this passage about? Jesus shows radical grace to call sinners into fellowship with God. That's what we see here. Jesus shows radical grace to sinners to call them into fellowship with God. So we look at this passage and we're looking for that main idea. We're going to see it in three parts. First, we're going to see a gracious call in verses 13 to 14. Then we're going to see a gracious meal in verses 15 to 16. And finally, we're going to see a gracious mission in verse 17. First, we see a gracious call in verses 13 to 14. Our passage opens again with what seems like another typical day in the life of Jesus. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. We know that Jesus spent much of his time teaching the people. But so far in the Gospel of Mark, Mark has focused more on what Jesus does than on what Jesus says. I wonder if you've noticed that so far. Mark has not told us much about Jesus' teaching besides his basic message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Instead, Mark has been introducing us to Jesus Christ by showing us little pictures of Jesus and his work. Little pictures that teach us who Jesus is. And that's why in our passage, Mark goes from this general description of teaching to then zooming in on what Jesus does as he calls Levi in verse 14. Mark is teaching us about Jesus' grace for sinners. Look what happens that day. And as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now what jumps out initially in this verse is Jesus' authority. Jesus calls Levi to follow him, and Levi immediately drops everything and follows him. We saw something similar happen When Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they walked away 
from their fishing nets. They walked away from the servants. They even walked away from their own family to serve God. Shows us again that Jesus speaks with authority when he calls people to follow him. But Mark's focus here in our passage is particularly on the person that Jesus calls with power. The focus is on Levi, the son of Alphaeus, a tax collector. Now for us, a a tax collector probably seems like just another job, right? People today work for the IRS. You could do that too, right? You can almost imagine, you know, kindergarten class of little boys in Jesus' day. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And little Simon would say, well, I want to be a fisherman when I grow up. Well, that's good for you, Simon. And Levi, what do you want to be? Oh, you know what? I want to be a tax collector when I grow up. Uh, except no good little Jewish boy would ever want to grow up to be a tax collector. This was not just another job. See, tax collectors were viewed as some of the worst people in the whole world by the Jews. Why did they think that? Well, first, because tax collectors were thieves. The way they made their money was by stealing from others. If the tax was $10, they'd charge you 12 and they take those $2 for themselves. You can see that problem in the story of another tax collector that Jesus calls. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is very, very rich. But how did he get rich? By defrauding others. When he is converted, he promises, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's not a hypothetical, like I may have done that. That is a confession I have stolen from others, and I will give it back. Tax collectors like Levi and Zacchaeus got rich by taking other people's money. But tax collectors were also looked down on because they worked with the Romans. The Romans controlled the country of Israel at this time, and they used Jews like Levi and other people to collect their taxes. So a tax collector was a thief, and a tax collector was a traitor in the minds of most Jews. So no good Jew would want to have anything to do with tax collectors. Instead, we actually see tax collectors and sinners spending a lot of time together, like here in our passage. Sinners. That refers to a group of people who did not live by God's law. These are people committing very public sins. We see throughout the Gospels examples like prostitutes. Prostitutes, thieves, and others are the sinners that Levi and the tax collectors live with. So think about this man, Levi, here. He's most likely stealing money. He's definitely working with the Romans. And he spends his free time with public sinners. Levi seems to be one of the last people that a man like Jesus would want as one of his closest followers. But that is actually exactly what Jesus wants. Jesus wants Levi And he wants him to have a very special place in Jesus' ministry. In Mark 3, just the next chapter, Jesus appoints Levi. He's also called Matthew. He appoints Levi to be one of his 12 disciples, one of his 12 closest followers. 
Anyone who was watching what Jesus did that day or watched what Jesus did later when he made Levi an apostle would have been shocked by Jesus calling Levi. Why would Jesus ever want someone like Levi? Well, the calling of Levi is a story of Jesus' grace to sinners. Jesus is when, grace is when Jesus shows his love and mercy to people who don't deserve it. Jesus loves Levi. And Jesus shows Levi powerful grace. See, Levi was not outside the reach of Jesus' grace and power. We see that because Levi is called and he changes. When Jesus calls, Levi believes and he follows him. And the rest of Levi's life is completely different. Levi leaves behind his sin and he follows his Savior. This is the power and the grace of the call of Jesus Christ to sinners. But Jesus also shows his grace in calling sinners secondly in a gracious meal. Look at verses 15 to 16. Jesus goes further by showing astonishing grace to many more sinners than just Levi. He has a whole party with sinners. Verse 15, And as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. It looks like what happens here is that Levi decides to host a feast for Jesus. Zacchaeus did a similar thing right after he was converted as well. And who are the guests at Levi's party? They wouldn't be on anyone else's guest list. Many tax collectors and sinners. Not just one or two, notice. Many Mark wants us to notice the number. Mark also adds the fact later that many tax collectors and sinners came because there were many who were following Jesus. Jesus in his ministry and in this meal is surrounded by many well-known, despised public sinners. That's not an accident. Jesus chooses to sit down with all of these sinners and to eat a meal together. We might miss the significance of what this means as Jesus sits down to eat with sinners. You can invite anyone over to your house, and the rest of us probably won't think twice about it. But sitting down for a meal together in Jesus' day was much more important. It was sending a statement because you were having close, extended fellowship together with those people you invited. You were publicly saying that those people that you brought into your house They were people who are worth knowing. They were people that are worth spending time together. So Jesus eating with sinners. You could see how that would be shocking. Eating with sinners, well, that could be a problem. That would make you ceremonially unclean. That was a serious problem under the law that you would be unclean. But almost even more significant actually is the fact that good Jews didn't even want to be near those sinners. Not because of the law that they would be unclean, but because they didn't like them. Those sinners are outside God's law, so they aren't good enough to eat with us. I'm not even going to invite them to my house. You can see the shock of Jesus' actions in verse 16. 
the scribes of the Pharisees, they react. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, when the the scribes ask that question, I don't think they're really trying to figure out why. They're not asking the disciples for Jesus' theological reasons for what he's doing. No, this is a question that is coming from shock and disgust. Why is he doing that? We wouldn't do that. Why would Jesus do something like that? The scribes cannot imagine a reason that Jesus would spend time with sinners. Jesus' actions here are completely outside of the scribes' ideas of religion and God, right? Can't Jesus see that good people shouldn't spend time with sinners? That's what the scribes are asking. That's what they are expecting that Jesus would do. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus eats with sinners. Why does he do this? Why does he do this? Let me start by saying what Jesus does not do. I want to say this first. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, he is not accepting their sin. He is not saying that what they are doing is okay. We often hear in today's world that we should just accept others for who they are. You know, you hear the slogans, don't judge, or love is love, or you know, everybody's got their own truth, so dot, dot, dot. Yet when people say things like this, I found that they're often trying to defend something that the Bible clearly calls sin. I don't know if you found that to be true, but I have. That could be abortion, that could be homosexuality, transgender. There's a whole list of things that people say, no, you just need to accept. We are not supposed to ever say that those things are okay. If you want a nice slogan from the Bible, here it is. Sin is sin. That's what God says. So Jesus, as he eats with sinners, is not saying that these sinners are right. In fact, his message of repentance was for everyone. That is the same thing he's telling them at this meal. Repent and believe. That was for tax collectors and sinners as well. But here's the critical thing to see as Jesus sits down with these sinners. Jesus knows the full extent of their sin. Jesus knows their sin in its full depth and its full breadth. And as they are sitting at dinner with him, they are actually sinning against him because he is God. He knows their sin and he knows their sin is against him. And even though those things are true, Jesus is still willing to have a relationship with sinners. He is willing to have fellowship with sinners. Notice, this is not fellowship with saints. It's sinners. You know, maybe Levi is converted. That's what it seems to be at this point. But many of those other people sitting down at dinner that day, they were still tax collectors. They were still sinners living in their sin. And Jesus still loved them and sat with them. See this clearly. Jesus, the eternal, holy Son of God, is still friends with sinners. 
how is this possible? Those don't seem to go together. If he is holy, how in the world could he sit at dinner with these people? It's because Jesus is also gracious. Jesus is gracious. He shows sinners love and mercy that they don't deserve in order to save them from their sin. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to save sinners. Whereas Jesus says here in this passage, my mission was not to come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. That truth leads us now to our third and our final point, a gracious mission in verse 17. Here in this passage, Jesus tells us what he came to do. He came to call sinners. And call them to do what? To clean up their act? To just be better people and then then they can believe in him? Then he'll accept them? No. He called them to repent and believe in the gospel. And when Jesus calls sinners, he calls with power because he is not just preaching and hoping that sinners will turn and be saved. No, he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the good news. And when Jesus preaches, the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of the spiritually blind so that they see their sin and they see their Savior. And the Holy Spirit changes their hearts. He gives them new living hearts so that they can repent and believe. And he gives them faith and repentance. Jesus calls sinners to be saved and they are saved. That is what Jesus did and that is what Jesus does now. When the word is preached, Jesus is powerfully at work through his spirit to call sinners to repentance and faith and his will is done. That's his mission. That's his mission when he was here on earth. That's his mission now. But there's a group here who doesn't get it. The scribes do not understand Jesus and his mission. They do not understand his grace and power for sinners. And Jesus confronts them here in their unbelief. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is explaining his mission, but he's also condemning the scribes. The scribes think they are healthy. The scribes think that they are the righteous ones. They think they are righteous because of what they do. This is man-made religion. This is works righteousness. No one can be right with God because of what they do. Each one of us sins. Each one of us breaks God's law. And your obedience then can never ever save you. Each one of us needs God's grace for salvation. Each one of us needs God's grace in Jesus Christ. We need to take that free offer of salvation and believe. The scribes miss their own need for God's grace in Jesus Christ because they didn't think that they needed anything except their own obedience. If you think that you're okay with God, or that your sin is bad, yeah, but, but that you can do something to fix the problem, you're wrong. The Bible says so. Some people, I've heard it, I'm a good person. I've heard this too. God will make a deal with me. We'll figure it out. Or, you know, the good things that I do, those are going to eventually outweigh the bad things. God will take me because of what I do. 
If you've said those things or if you've heard other people say those, that means you don't understand your problem. God is clear. None is righteous. No, not one. Later in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you and I do not understand our problem with sin and the eternal punishment that we deserve in hell because of even just one of our sins, then we do not understand how much we need Jesus Christ. We can't see that we need Jesus' righteousness, his perfect obedience, because we don't have any righteousness. We don't see that we need Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins because we deserve God's wrath forever. Do not ever let yourself or someone you know think that they are okay with God apart from Jesus Christ. It's not true. It is not what the gospel says. You know what the gospel says? The gospel says is that all of us share the same problem. The scribes and the sinners both needed Jesus. The difference between them wasn't how bad their sin really was. That's what the scribes wanted to think. Those sinners, those people, those people have done horrible things, not me. No, the difference wasn't how bad their sin really was. The difference was that the scribes were not willing to see and accept God's grace. It was only the sinners who understood that they needed Jesus. They saw their sin, and they saw their Savior, and they turned to him for salvation. And do you see why any of that is true? Because Jesus came to them first. Jesus went out of his way to call sinners, to lovingly, graciously confront them in their sin and to offer them the salvation that they need. That is grace. That is gospel. Jesus came to call sinners. That is the love of God for us. Listen to Romans 5 Verse 8, we read it earlier in the service. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus does not wait for any single person to come to him because we won't. Our sin means that we will never come to Christ by ourselves. No, God the Father looks at our situation and he sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, to come to die for sinners that he has chosen and that he loves. And then God sends the Holy Spirit to take that salvation won by Christ and apply it to us, to open our eyes, to change our hearts, to give us faith and obedience for the rest of our lives. That is the work of God. God does not stand at a distance from sinners and kind of throw us salvation, that it would not be love. No, Jesus Christ shows love. God shows love by coming in our nature, into our fallen world to live and die and to call sinners to salvation. What is the result of that powerful call? What is the result of our salvation? We have fellowship with God again. We see a picture of fellowship with God in the meal that Jesus shares with these sinners here in our passage. For those people who were saved that day, that was only the beginning 
of a deep, intimate, eternal fellowship with God, with Jesus Christ, our elder brother, with God, our heavenly father, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us this morning who's a believer enjoys this kind of fellowship with God. Our relationship with God is now restored and we are richly blessed by him. And we know what we experience now and that fellowship with God, that is good. That is great, but we're looking forward to something more. We're actually looking forward to another meal, aren't we? That's where the Bible is pointing us toward. We are looking forward to enjoying deeper fellowship with God and one another in heaven when we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's going to be the host at that party? Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb himself, is inviting those who are former sinners to come and be with him in heaven forever. Jesus will sit down with all of us former sinners, saved by his grace and finally made perfect. That fellowship, that meal, that relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that is eternal. That will never change and will only deepen year after year after year into eternity. That's when we'll know God. That's then when we will actually be in God's presence forever. Jesus Christ came to call sinners. He came to call us. And now, he's calling other sinners through us. This is really the application of the passage. As individuals and as a church, as Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church, this is our calling and this is our mission. Jesus has given us the privilege of being God's people. But what does that mean for us? That means that part of our identity is that we exist to worship God. And we exist to do God's work. But we also exist to witness to sinners. We have to believe that. We need to believe that as a church. And we need to believe that as individuals. Believe that God can save anyone. No one is too far gone for God to save them. Jesus came to call sinners, and those he came to call will believe. Do you have family or friends who are very far from God? Maybe even living in very open sin like Levi and his friends. I know you do. And I do too. Jesus' love and grace are for each one of his people. He can save that person that you're thinking about right now. See their face and see Jesus' forgiveness. Believe that and pray with that confidence for that person. But also, as we look at everyone we meet, we need to look at people with the heart of Christ for them. We sometimes begin to think like the scribes from our passage. You know, that God really loves us, but God can't possibly love that other person because their sin is too bad. That's not true. What did God do for you? What did God do for you who are also a terrible sinner 
outside of Christ. Jesus needed to save you because of your sin. Not because you are wonderful and righteous, but because you are a sinner. He did that for you. That gives you great confidence and assurance in your own life. And it gives you confidence and assurance as you look at others around you. He loves to save sinners as well. So love people like Jesus does. In our passage, we see that Jesus is friends with unbelievers. How many non-Christians do you really know? I mean, not just like the cashier at the, you know, the local grocery store. I mean, friends. How many do you really know that you regularly talk to, that you look into their lives and you know what's going on? Jesus went looking for sinners. Jesus ate with sinners because Jesus loved sinners. Let's feel the same way that Jesus does. And let's do some of the same things that Jesus does. We need to have a heart for the sinners around us. The same heart of Jesus Christ. And as we do this work, pray. Pray. We need the Holy Spirit to save sinners. You and I cannot do that. None of us can do that. The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can open the eyes. The Holy Spirit can change the heart. The Holy Spirit can give faith. But the Holy Spirit's going to use us. Jesus calls sinners today through us, through you and through me. Pray that God would then use us to spread the gospel. Pray that God would call sinners to himself right here every day and pray that he would make us willing to be part of that work, to spread the gospel, to call sinners. Make us willing and then give us the opportunities. Pray that God would give us opportunities as individuals and as a church to spread the gospel. And when he gives us those opportunities, pray that God would open our eyes and God would soften our hearts to see and to take the opportunities he gives us. You don't have to worry when he gives you that opportunity. We know the message. We know the message of salvation. It's here in this passage. Sick people need doctors. Sinners need a savior. And Jesus is the gracious, loving savior that we all need. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe that Jesus came to call sinners. Pray, Lord, as we look at our own lives, that we would see that that is true. That, Jesus, you have come powerfully to call us out of our sin, out of our misery, out of our rebellion against you, and you have called us back into fellowship with God. We thank you for that costly powerful grace. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to call other sinners. Your work is not done yet. And you have chosen to use us to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us faithful. Give us love and concern and friendship with those who are outside of you and call many sinners to come and worship you Pray that especially for our congregation that we would see conversions, that we would see people who were once walking in darkness come be called into your wonderful light 
And we pray that you would do this because this brings glory to you. Not to us, but to you. Bring glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.